big businesses can be extremely helpful because as they are looking to bring in suppliers, as they are looking for partners, as they are looking for those to which they want to partner or to collaborate with or do joint ventures with, I would say look at Canadian small and medium-sized businesses as first because in your value chain, in your supply chain, first of all, they're close to you. They share a set of values with you. And I would say think Team Canada and be ambitious about our growth because um, I think the opportunity is, is, is very, very much there. But I think that not one can do it alone. I think uh, us playing as a team is going to make us uh, stronger, much stronger. I'm Sasha Christick, president of MasterCard Canada and host of Future Forward on the futureeconomy.ca. At MasterCard, we believe that bringing together different voices and perspectives always results in better solutions, powering economies and empowering people. I hope that today's episode will help business leaders and decision makers identify how Canadian businesses can better adapt to rapid technological change and what lessons we can learn from the global ecosystem that surrounds us that will ultimately help create an environment in which all Canadian businesses and entrepreneurs can thrive. This episode was filmed prior to the recent federal cabinet shuffle and features former Minister of Small Business, Export Promotion and International Trade of Canada, the Honourable Mary Ng. The cabinet shuffle resulted in a change to Minister Ng's portfolio. She is now the Minister of Export Promotion, International Trade and Economic Development. However, Minister Ng's nearly five-year tenure as Minister of Small Business and her own family's experience as small business owners are sure to shed light on the challenges and opportunities Canadian businesses are facing in this digital era, what lessons we can learn from global business ecosystems and the trends shaping the future of Canadian business. I'm looking forward to bringing you this conversation today, as well as being on the lookout for the small business priorities being identified by our new Minister of Small Business, the Honourable Richie Valdez whose background also includes being a small business owner. So let's jump right into it. Here's today's episode. Minister Ng, welcome. Sasha, it's really terrific to be with you, and I'm so looking forward to this conversation. As both a member of Parliament and a Minister in Cabinet, you have been instrumental in a lot of bigger picture initiatives to boost the Canadian economy. But I would like to start today by going back to your personal background with small business. Some people may not know that your family started their own restaurant when they came to Canada and you grew up working there. So I'm wondering if you'll share a little around your experience about being part of a family-owned business. Well, thanks so much, Sasha. And uh, I think that uh, I am much of who I am today because of that formative experience. And uh, when you grow up in your family's restaurant, you learn the values of hard work. And if you're growing up in a family, you know, in a family restaurant business, that's also a new immigrant family business, then uh, you also are learning uh, how to work in, you know, sort of in the Canadian economy, in the Canadian community. But it was really terrific. I mean, I think about uh, after school and on the weekends, uh, working in the restaurant, uh, working with customers. And uh, as, as soon as I got my license, I was uh, I was delivering Chinese food around the neighborhood uh, for my parents' restaurant. But if I were to sort of think about that experience and the file that I have serving Canadians, probably the most uh, flashpoint moment I would reflect on was at the beginning of the pandemic. And when all of us were doing what was necessary to keep Canadians safe, I thought about my own family's restaurant. What would happen if the pandemic happened now or at a time when I was growing up, the doors would close, customers were not coming back in, 
we had uh, bills to pay, we had uh, a mortgage to pay, and we also had a couple of staff. So what do you do with your staff? How are you going to have that working capital to keep going? And uh, and and how are you going to deal with just you know the revenue that normally comes in every day with customers that you no longer had? So it's that formative, very practical thinking of what small businesses were experiencing that I brought with me in my job. Thank you for jumping to that because I was going to ask as you were telling your story, how do you see the connection between where you started in that anchor experience and what you bring to work every day? So um, that notion of having that formative experience and the practicality of what you experienced and how you're bringing that to your portfolio today, incredibly important. I'm going to switch our conversation to talk a little bit about trends that we're seeing in Canada and then globally. And so if we start with the current business and landscape in Canada, what are the key trends that you're seeing that are driving our entire economy forward? Well, I'll pick up where I, uh, from the last answer around the pandemic, the enormity of the supports that the federal government provided to Canadian businesses, uh, whether it's keeping employees attached to their employers, to, um, to companies, or just helping them through uh, that very extraordinarily difficult time, created greater resilience, more resilience than, than I think I think our colleague countries uh, among the OECD. I think that's why you have seen Canada's performance do as well as we have been relative to our OECD uh, colleagues and partners and, and as well among the G7. What does that mean? What are we seeing? We're seeing that businesses have recovered and they've recovered at a record speed. If we contrast the time coming out of the pandemic to you know an earlier period coming out of the 2008 uh, financial crisis, small and medium-sized businesses in particular took years to recover. And here we've recovered all of the jobs that we have seen lost um, since the pandemic. And now there are you know 900,000 more jobs today. So that's good on the one hand, but a trend that I'm seeing, of course, which businesses talk to me often about is the need for labor and for people and uh, to make sure that we have uh, the labor pool necessary to help sustain the, uh, the their businesses today. In Canada, from a trade and a business standpoint, we are very much doubling down on how we help businesses grow and export into the international market. You've seen during the pandemic, the fragility of supply chains and the, uh, the dependability that Canadian businesses are looking to with respect to the partners to whom they trade with and to whom they are doing business with. So we've done a lot of work and are continuing to do a lot of work with our allies and partners, particularly those who we have free trade agreements with, to really help uh, create those conditions for Canadian businesses uh, to continue to attract investment because Canada is the best place uh, to do business and to attract that investment because of, you know, because of the predictability, the good business climate uh, that we have here in Canada, um, but also helping our businesses venture into those international markets that really do help business growth. So Canada uh, is in a very enviable place. We have access to over you know, 60% of the world's economy. We have these really important trade agreements in the important economic areas of the world. So in North America, Canada, U.S. and Mexico, uh, through Kuzma, we call it Kuzma in Canada, USMCA in the U.S., TMEC in Mexico. But for those who don't know those acronyms, it's NAFTA 2.0. We also have a really good and robust trading agreement uh, with uh, the European Union through CETA. And in the Asia Pacific, with countries like Japan and Singapore, New Zealand, Australia, Vietnam, um, through the CPTPP. And these are, you know, we often talk about rules-based trade matters because these trade agreements 
create the predictability for in rules that businesses rely on. And we just released uh, Canada's Indo-Pacific strategy last year. That just simply means that Canada is going to keep pursuing this diversification and growth into parts of the world where we are seeing tremendous growth in the Indo-Pacific. Um, so diversification, business growth, uh, supporting our Canadian companies in that growth domestically so that they're tackling issues like uh, like the need for labor and uh, and creating the conditions in the environment for them to ultimately be competitive and to compete uh, here in Canada, but uh, globally. But those, those trends are all really critical, particularly, I would say, um, labor, competitiveness and international exposure. And they apply to businesses of all sizes. But if I can delve into a little bit more specifically part of your portfolio around small business and medium-sized businesses, we know that our Canadian economy is directly linked to the success of our small and medium-sized businesses. So I'm interested in hearing your perspective on the role that small businesses play in driving economic growth but also the role that big businesses play in supporting them. Well, small businesses are absolutely critical to the Canadian economy. I mean, if you look at who these businesses are, I mean, first of all, it's 98% of businesses in Canada are made up of SMEs. They are by far the largest share of, um, of employers, right? I mean, they employ uh, 65% of the Canadian workforce, right? I mean, they are about 37% of the entire Canadian economy. So that's how important small and medium-sized businesses are. I mean, one may not think that that that's those are the facts. I mean, that's that's the reason we're having the conversation today to exactly highlight absolutely. how critical they are. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, SMEs are really important, um, which is why you know connected to why it was so important to support them uh, through the difficulty of the pandemic. It was essential because our economy, our communities depend on the vibrancy of uh, Canadian small and medium-sized businesses. And when you think about it, I mean, small and medium-sized businesses are, it's the restaurant or, you know, or the wonderful stores that you see across main streets in all communities from coast to coast in this country. It is the most dynamic and innovative companies like, you know, chips and semiconductors, which by the way, I mean, also, I mean, today, there's almost nothing today that doesn't have some kind of semiconductor or chip in it, right? Your cell phone, a consumer product, you know, your car. Um, and uh, in Canada, we've got an incredible strength. So this, you know, sort of a strength of sort of these, you know, innovative technology companies. But what about uh, the company, the construction, the small and medium-sized construction company that's installing the sustainable windows or green roofs that uh, that is also part of, you know, part of the uh, construction industry today. So you can literally see small and medium-sized businesses in every sector of the economy, in agri-foods, everything, I mean, uh, in the country. So that's actually how important they are. But small and medium-sized businesses, we want them to grow, right? I mean, and, and, and to your question, how can big businesses help? Well, I think that big businesses can be extremely helpful because as they are looking to bring in suppliers, as they are looking for partners, as they are looking for those to which they want to partner or to collaborate with or do joint ventures with, I would say, Look at Canadian small and medium-sized businesses as first. I mean, because in your value chain, in your supply chain, first of all, they're close to you. They have they share a set of values with you. And what better than to actually help Canadian businesses? And one of the exciting things that uh, that I've done as a minister is we created this network called the Can Health Network. And really, what is it? It's actually procurement. It's procurement in a space that is uh, you know 
health organizations, big organizations that are looking for innovative solutions, technologies or services. And if you think about a Canadian company in medical devices, for example, whose door might they knock on in order to get an adoption of their solution into what is essentially a big organization. So we created the integrated market. We created the CanHealth network so that they actually sit in between these big organizations and looking at what is actually in the business ecosystem of these smaller companies as a way of being able to bring them in, test what those solutions could look like, and then help sell into uh, help sell into bigger companies. So I think that big companies absolutely have, uh, you know, have a role. So big businesses can help small businesses. You made a great example of how government uh, is helping small businesses. Any other stakeholders that you think about when you're uh, putting together plans to drive the growth of, of small business in Canada? Yeah, you know what? I um, you said it at the beginning in terms of some of the tools that I have in my toolbox for uh, Canadian businesses. I mean, so Crown Corporations like the Business Development Bank of Canada or Export Development Canada, but, you know, the Canadian Commercial Corporation, the Trade Commissioner Service, like all of these are really terrific assets of the federal government, which are there for one purpose, to help and support Canadian businesses and, um, and to support them in their growth, not only in Canada, but looking at their growth into the international marketplace. And I would encourage Canadian business to look at these sort of federal tools uh, as a way of helping them uh, navigate and, uh, and perhaps get the additional support that they need to uh, grow their business or to just support their existing business. So as a big business, MasterCard is obviously... Um you know, a very strong supporter of small business. And we put out every year uh, a research specifically around women's entrepreneurship. We do an index of women's entrepreneurship that looks at the, the factors that required for success, both systemically and individually for women entrepreneurs. And we compare globally. Canada is actually ranked, according to our research, one of the top three countries for supporting women entrepreneurs, which is a large part of uh, many of the things that you've just talked about. And so while it's great to see the systems are in place, when we look at Canada specifically, I think something like 15% of entrepreneurs are majority owned by women. So can you speak a little bit, uh, ministering around how we can ensure that more women are empowered to become entrepreneurs? And I'm happy to have you expand that to diversity in entrepreneurship in general, because you're right when you say entrepreneurs and small businesses drive the vibrancy of our, our country and our economy. Um, and yet we need to continue to do more, I think, to diversify who's driving small business. So Thoughts on women and beyond in uh, small business? You know, I, I love all your questions, but this one is probably my favorite. Um, I get to lead Canada's women's entrepreneurship uh, strategy, and it essentially is about a $7 billion investment by the federal government. And, uh, and what's the return on that investment? $150 billion to the Canadian economy. Like, that's what we're talking about by doing one thing, adding more women into the Canadian economy. You often hear my government and uh, the prime, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau talk about how important it is for us to create an economy that works for all Canadians and inclusive growth so that uh, more people are really participating in the economy. And the sports analogy I would use around women is I said, look, if you are playing a team, are you really going to have half of the team sitting on the bed? Absolutely not. So today it's more than 15%. We've had this strategy in place since 2018. It's just about 17% now, which, you know, it is trending in the right way. And, uh, and the strategy really is to solve a few things. We always hear, and you know, at MasterCard for sure, um, not only hear it, but, but you help with solutions as well. But access to capital for businesses, small businesses, 
but women-owned businesses. I mean, I was actually shocked to learn when I first introduced this strategy. You know, I was looking at a piece of research and that there were a top Forbes list or one of, you know, a list like Forbes that said there were more CEOs with the name James than women CEOs, right? I mean, very telling, isn't it? Very telling. But getting access to capital is essential. So lion's share of this $7 billion strategy is about providing access to capital. So whether it's a you know, a fund, uh, a tech fund for women in technology, helping women in international trade, uh, diversify, grow their businesses through trade, but getting access to venture funding and also creating a more inclusive venture capital environment so that you've got LPs, I mean, who can, and greater women founders to be a part of that venture network to provide that kind of capital. But one of the things that I thought was the most exciting was actually providing lending programs that are for loans from zero to 50,000, because that was what was actually really needed for these for these businesses. The second part of the strategy is creating an ecosystem. Um, we heard a lot about not getting access to business networks, not having access to mentors and leaders to help businesses and women-owned businesses grow. So, and, and then the third part is actually data and it's understanding where the gaps are and where the best practices are. And maybe I'll just end it off this way. Since we put the strategy in place, not only have we seen that percentage number increase, so now it's just about 17%, but, you know, we've helped, you know, about 10,000 um, 10, women start their businesses. We've helped about 12,000 existing women entrepreneurs and businesses grow their businesses. That's good. And then I would say that as a minister with an economic file, I couldn't do this alone. And, and what do I mean by that? Affordable early learning and childcare is a game changer because when you can create more women into the workforce, staying in their business, being a part of the economy, it is an economic driver for growth. The other thing we did was we also legislated parental leave. So when you as a, you know, as a woman leader, a women business owner are able to make a decision, you know, um, when you become a mom to actually turn around right away. And uh, if you wish to continue your business journey and your partner and is going to, you know, be the one taking that leap. That too is a game changer. I mean, as I've traveled, you know, I met colleagues around the world. I mean, those are the two things they say to me, you know, like Canada, you've done something right here because those are policies that complement the economic investments. And it's that that's going to help us drive this growth. And in addition to women, we have a black entrepreneurship strategy. We're doing, we've got similar strategies working together uh, in partnership with indigenous peoples to support indigenous peoples and growth and young entrepreneurs. So inclusive growth means doing everything we can to have more people participate in the economy. And, you know, you and I said earlier, I mean, look at the numbers. I mean, it's a fact. Small and medium-sized businesses are very, very important economic uh, drivers of our economy. So creating more opportunities, creating the supportive environment so that these entrepreneurs and businesses can start and grow is the work that I just love doing. It's very refreshing. And I would say encouraging to hear you talk about holistically the programs that need to be put in place to support entrepreneurs, because you're right, entrepreneurs give their whole life to their business or their venture. And so the marriage of personal on the childcare and parental leave piece with the um, systemic professional around access to capital, building the ecosystem and data 
uh, that blend is a, is a critical component to, to success. I guess when I started uh, the introduction today, I talked about the fact that we were going to put some calls to action out. And I would submit that the first call to action we should be putting out is there are lots of programs to support women. The government has them. Uh, other big businesses has them. I think from a call to action perspective, it's how do we continue to build those and synergize them so that one plus one can equal three. Easier access, one-stop shopping so that women and other diverse entrepreneurs can grow their businesses to, to the comments that you just made. So we'll, we'll take a note on that one to be call to action number one coming out of this. I'd like to spend a bit more time on digital because I think it's an interesting uh, topic in relation to small business. I would say uh, pre-pandemic, I think there was a feeling that small businesses were a little bit potentially behind on the digital adoption. Pandemic hits and they scaled up their digital technology faster than I think anyone could have imagined, mostly them. Uh, in order to survive. And so as you think about the ongoing digitization of small businesses, any thoughts on uh, key activities they need to take, how government is supporting, and, and I'm thinking through a cybersecurity lens in particular, because becoming digital is one thing, doing it safely for many small businesses is quite another. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and here I want to thank MasterCard because I know in some of the work that you are doing and that MasterCard is doing um, with Canadian small businesses is to actually offer that sort of uh, education, if you will, uh, capacity building uh, for small businesses so that they can understand how to operate safely in today's uh, very, very digital world and increasingly more digital. The Canadian Digital Adoption Program essentially has two parts. One part is e-commerce. I mean, helping, I, the way I explain it is um, adding a click to your brick. So if you've got a brick or you've got, you know, your business is sitting in sort of, you know, a brick building, um, you're adding that click. And that is very much what we saw such an acceleration uh, during the pandemic and post-pandemic. And I think businesses are just seeing additional opportunities. The businesses that I've met who have, uh, who have uh, taken on e-commerce have found themselves with, you know, an additional additional revenue that was not there before. People are, you know, customers are finding them in a way that they didn't before. You'd have to walk, you know, into the brick, right? I mean, in this way now, you can really, uh, you really are able to expand your uh, your offerings through, uh, through e-commerce. But the other part is really about um, getting more productive. I mean, there are businesses that I've talked to that uh, I'll give you a good example. I mean, you know, a kombucha company, a female-led company, and uh, and she had this wonderful, you know, she had this wonderful order because her product was so great, but it was a massive scale in order in order for her to deliver uh, on this order. How do you produce it, right? How do you produce it? But, you know, but, but today with the investment of automation, for example, uh, given that today, um, the shortage of skilled people, um, this really has become a solution. And it's a solution for companies like, like hers, where we're re-digitizing her production line has actually given her the capacity to fulfill that order. Or whether it's customers utilizing tools like AI or back-end sort of, you know, data tools to help you understand your customer a lot better so that you can then market and target, you know, your customer segments are the range of opportunities and tools. But as you said, with opportunities and tools, let's make sure that we're also equipping businesses so that they understand, you know, cybersecurity and how to work with that privacy and how to work with that protecting, you know, those, you know, those records and privacy for customers so that there is a customer assurance when they interact with businesses. And that's sort of the operability 
stuff. That's, you know, that those are the kinds of, you know, regulations and so forth that government wants to be most helpful in. Most helpful because it balances the need for privacy protection for consumers, but at the same time, helping businesses uh, do business in this sort of digital world that, you know, in a safe way. Minister Inger, you mentioned a few elements of digitization. It's it's about access to new customers, uh, about scaling, about data and insights. I'm curious, given your global perspective, your view on how Canada uh, and small business digitization compares to other countries. Are we ahead of the curve, behind the curve, in the middle of the pack? What are your thoughts there based on what you had the opportunity to see um, as you represent us around the world? Yeah, I mean, um, I've been, I've marveled at how quickly the adoption of digital is taking place around the world. Like, I mean, in Canada, we have for, you know, for, for, for years under our government, been putting out that infrastructure that is necessary, right? Like having high-speed internet, right? I mean, across the country to be an enabler. So, um, and that is a prerequisite to the productivity uh, and the growth that your small businesses are going to be able to have, particularly in, country, in, in communities that are rural communities in Canada, where the opportunity for high productivity is absolutely there, as long as you do those other things, which is actually about kind of providing, you know, broadband. So Canada has had to do that because, you know, as a developed country, we have architecture and we needed to make those investments. You know, other countries that I'm seeing, uh, you know, around the world, uh, those that are developing, you know, can almost catapult, right? They can almost catapult with, uh, you know, with, with tools, right? I mean, that uh, that are there um, and, you know, a little differently than ours. So I would sort of say that Canada is doing well, but, uh, but we are in a very, very competitive space. So to small businesses and to businesses across Canada, I would say, this is where we are at and this is where we must go and, you know, know that we're here to be working with you. But um, but it's very competitive out there. I mean, we are now and I am at the negotiating table with countries like Singapore and New Zealand on uh, on on digital, um, you know, digital partnership agreements so that we can create these sort of operability type rules that help our businesses and facilitate greater, uh, you know, greater business and greater trade and greater digital businesses. So, um, so on the one hand, it's my work is being there to make sure that, you know, the rules and how Canada competes internationally is in lockstep with, you know, with, with our competitors and at the same time supporting Canadian small businesses here at home so that they can get the very best of that competitive edge here at home and getting uh, out there internationally. Underlying everything you've just said is this notion of pace, right? Uh, and it's something that I've talked about on on a number of these episodes is uh, we have a comfort level in Canada that has served us very well because we live in a safe and well-established country. But from a competitiveness perspective, this notion of driving pace uh, is really critical. And, and how do we, I'd submit my call to action number two would be, how do we pick up the pace in, in Canada a little bit? So on that uh, theme, You've talked a lot about the support systems that are in place to support um, the growth and success of Canadian small businesses, which is fantastic. I'd like to ask you what's missing. So um, not just from a government perspective, but if you could identify a gap and any key stakeholders that you want to sort of call to action on to get involved, to help support and and strengthen the importance of our small business community, who would you call on and what would you ask them for? Yeah, that's what a wonderful, wonderful question. And, you know, and the point that you make around pace is a really good one, right? I mean, you know, Canada is a great country and we're safe, right? But around the world, you're seeing that drive and that competitiveness, that hunger. And, but here's what I would say about that. I mean, young entrepreneurs, 
new immigrant entrepreneurs, the include like the diverse entrepreneurs who have always had to kind of just you know, fight their way through, you know, find ways to tackle those barriers that have been there. So, you know, I see that level of ambition there. And I really think that that's why inclusive growth is so important because to the question that you asked around pace, it is that, and that is helping. But to answer your question, I would say that the more we think about a Team Canada approach, the better we're going to be. Think beyond these borders. We are a trading country. Like one out of six jobs in Canada is dependent on trade. Two thirds of our economy is dependent on trade. We've always been that. We we just hit 40 million people just this last week in Canada. If you look at it in comparison, like we are, you know, we are like a tenth of, um, I think about a tenth of the American, about you know, the American economy. Having said that, while we are small in size, we are the 10th economy in the world. So we are a G7 country. So we should be so proud of that, but keeping pace and thinking of it in Team Canada. So big companies looking at Canadian, small and medium sized companies, those that might provide solutions, innovations into your supply chain, into your big company as a way of helping that growth, I think is going to be essential because when you bring them into your value chain, to your supply chain, and you are growing and you're growing globally, it's going to help us grow. I mean, I would say think Team Canada and the big ones think of the small and the small ones don't be afraid of reaching out to the big and look to the tools that are here, not only at the federal government, but at other orders in terms of these sort of support programs or tools and intentionally look at that and, and be ambitious about our growth because, um, because I think the opportunity is very, very much there. Uh, but I think that not one can do it alone. I think uh, us playing as a team is going to make us uh, stronger, much stronger. Well, there's no doubt that we have historically punched above our weight uh, in a global context. And I think everything you've talked about around thinking holistically, thinking connectedly, um, moving with pace and not getting too comfortable is going to be really critical to not just only maintain that global position, but, but advance it. You mentioned uh, future entrepreneurs. I'm curious if you have any particular advice that you would give to a future entrepreneur that wants to start their own business. And we've certainly seen that the type of businesses these future entrepreneurs are are starting are different from the traditional, as you've talked about, restaurants and stores to technology, increasingly this creator economy. Um, but for future entrepreneurs, a piece of advice from you to them. Well, it's so interesting that you asked the question because I always think, boy, you know, do you really want a uh, federal minister who works in government to give an entrepreneur or a business advice? And what, you know, and, and what capabilities do I have to, you know, offer that? You have practical experience and practical background though. So yes, we do want you to share your perspective. I heard uh, from, with respect to uh, entrepreneurship, and that is, that is to say, look, um, you know, if you've got that fire in your belly to go do it, go do it. And even if you fail, Failure is not failure. Failure, you know, failure, you know, can indeed be a road to success. And look at the range of, you know, of programs and supports that are there to support Canadian businesses and entrepreneurs. Look beyond our, you know, look beyond our borders. But I, I think probably the best thing, you know, to say is, is look, I mean, if you're going to take a risk, there isn't a better place to take a risk than in Canada. So then my last question for you, Ministering, is uh, you often have the attention of the whole world. But imagine for right now, you've got the attention of the whole world for five minutes. Uh, and you have the chance to share one insight on the topic of Canada's future as it relates to SMEs. What would you say and why? It's an easy answer because I say it all the time to uh, to those in the world that I spend time with. Uh, Canada's uh, SMEs are among some of the best educated, 
they're among the most skilled. Uh, we have, you know, we we guide ourselves with a set of values um, that uh, that really put the Canadian brand just, you know, kind of, you know, uh, at such a high quality. I mean, you know, almost everyone I meet when we talk about Canadian businesses, it's a positive. So, uh, so, so, you know, with with that with that audience, I mean, my pitch to them is uh, invest in Canada. If you've got a Canadian business doing business with you, you can bet that uh, they uh, come with. Uh, a set of values that you know, that belie Canadians of uh, of being both honest and ambitious, and you'll get you know you'll get the top you know you'll get top goods and top services. Well, thank you, Minister Ng, for this very insightful discussion today. Uh, we have covered a lot of ground, and I'm confident that uh, our audience has a much clearer view of the role of government and business leaders and what both can play in supporting Canadian small businesses and entrepreneurs, as well as the trends in both in Canada and globally that are changing the way that businesses work. Sasha, thank you so much for having me. And you know what, I wanna just say one more thing. I wanna say what, um, what a pleasure it is to uh, have had this wonderful dialogue with you and to thank you for being that terrific woman leader of MasterCard Canada. Thank you, it's an honor. Well, it really is, uh, the honor is all mine. I mean, um, and I think that it's so important for other women, young women, women of all you know ages to take a look at uh, what you are able to do as a leader. And because they often say, you know, you've got to see her to be her. And uh, boy, are we ever seeing you. I'm seeing you too. So it takes, uh, we got to strengthen our numbers. And I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to Tim, who was really the brains behind this series. And he has given me a platform to be able to bring really important conversations to an important audience around something I care deeply about, which I know you do as well, which is the future of our country. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Sasha. And thank you, Tim, so much. And I think it's great that you're doing this um, in this particular era of putting good content out there to help Canadians. We can't have enough of it. So to our audience, thank you for tuning in to the Future Forward series hosted by me, Sasha Kristich, president of MasterCard Canada. I hope you're enjoying our conversations with Canadian thought leaders and industry experts on the forces and trends shaping Canada's future economy and what we need to do now to lean in to continue to lead. As I mentioned earlier, we'd love to hear from you. So let us know your thoughts on the issues we discussed in the comments section below. And to be notified of the next releases in the series, subscribe to this channel and to the futureeconomy.ca newsletter and socials. Links are in the description. With that, I'm Sasha Kirstich. Thanks for joining me and see you next time.